And welcome back to another episode here on Getting to Know Yourself. Today, I have three guests here with me from UNC Asheville to discuss the relationship between sleep, or lack thereof, and stress, which we all struggle with. Specifically, they'll talk about a very interesting hormone involved, how that can go awry before moving on to potential solutions. Hopefully, these experts got in their sleep last night and are raring to go. Let's say hello to our experts. Hi, I'm Joyner. My name's Nico. Glad to be here. I'm Haley. Thanks, everyone. Now to the folks listening. Did you get up with a pang of anxiety on the way to class and feel a rush of adrenaline as you made it in? Still able to feel it after sitting down? It may be more than that. Cortisol may be responsible for some of what you felt too. So what is cortisol? I imagine Joyner might be able to tell us more about this. Hi, Albert. Thanks again for having me here today. Cortisol can be tricky. In some sense, we need cortisol, but too much can be detrimental. We'll be sure to talk about those situations today and also what you listeners out there can do to keep yours in check. The anticipation of it all is stressing me out. I'm starting to feel like that student rushing off to class. (laughs) I'm glad you mentioned that. Cortisol is, in fact, your stress hormone, which happens to be a chemical messenger produced by your adrenal glands. Adrenal what? Think of those as little mini Santa caps resting on top of each bean-shaped organ, your kidneys, located in your lower back. Oh, Santa brings laughter, but not so much when I think about stress. Why would we even need cortisol when the word stress itself just sounds so awful? It does sound awful, but let's balance it out. Cortisol levels will be highest upon waking and taper off to low levels by the end of the day to prepare for a good night's sleep. During this cycle, cortisol is in proper function and thus important for regulating our body's metabolism and blood pressure, assisting with memory formulation, increasing blood sugar, suppressing inflammation, decreasing bone formation, and it also controls the sleep-slash-wake cycle. Oh, well, in that case, maybe I could learn to like stress. Let's hear more. Now, on the flip side, stress or distress is that feeling of being overwhelmed or unable to cope with mental or emotional pressure. Yet, that feeling of stress can come in handy during our time of need, giving someone an energy boost to handle an emergency situation better. Remember that poor student running late to class? Cortisol, combined with other stress response processes, can give them just the stamina boost they need to arrive, not so late. But wait, this sounds silly or maybe obvious, but what causes stress? I'm glad you asked. There are many factors that can lead to stress, like losing a loved one, financial burden, like affording college. However, there can be good stress, too. Good stress? That sounds like an oxymoron. Indeed, there can be. We can experience stress from a promotion, a new bundle of joy arriving soon to your family, and even falling in love. Cortisol is a natural part of life. It accompanies us dividing our days from our nights and during both positive and negative events that happen. Hmm, it just reminded me. You mentioned the sleep-wake cycle earlier. What does cortisol have to do with it? Of course. Cortisol typically follows a circadian rhythm, so roughly 24 hours. This is highest upon waking up, 
gets lower throughout the day and is lowest by evening and increases after bedtime. I'll put it another way. You're on a roller coaster but asleep. When you wake up, you're near the top of it, about to come racing down. Sounds like a rude awakening. It seems like it, but that trend is carefully regulated by the body to avoid any strange fluctuations. It's like how that first drop in the roller coaster seems so scary and dangerous, but you know that the ride was engineered to keep you securely in place. I see. That makes me feel a lot better about my cortisol. Let's shift gears for a moment. The reason cortisol levels change at all is because it's controlled by the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, HPA axis for short. To make sense of that, we'll need to start with another part of the brain called the hypothalamus. It contains neurons, cells which are basic units of the brain. They carry information for the brain as electrical signals, like running through a well-worn trail. Eventually, though, there's trouble. What's wrong? There's a big, fast-moving river, and the bridge that would have helped you cross broke. The river is the synaptic cleft. So what do you do? You need to convert the signal to cross, from electrical to chemical. It just so happens that there was a gondola left aside for just this situation. <laughs> so what, is that gondola some sort of transmitter? Kinda, yeah. A neurotransmitter. The signal crosses the synaptic cleft, and the runner hops off on the other side. Meanwhile, neurotransmitters are taken back up into the originating neuron, like how the gondola will return to the initial side of the river. Now that you covered the basics, where do we go from this crossing? It's a chain of events to affect cortisol, but I'll break it down as best as I can. We're back in the hypothalamus. The crossing we talked about is one of many that triggers the release of corticotropin-releasing hormone, or CRH. This is important because when CRH activates the pituitary gland, it secretes, now bear with me, another hormone called adrenocorticotropic hormone, or ACTH. When ACTH levels are high enough in the blood, it tells the adrenal glands, our little Santa caps, to release cortisol. With all that in mind, we're back to the roller coaster. Your day continues, you're still going down that roller coaster, but the main drop is over. Now it's just bunny hills as your cortisol levels drop much more slowly. It has to go back up for the morning though, right? How does that happen? Yes, it does. After a person goes to sleep, their cortisol continues to drop a bit more before rapidly climbing in the hours leading to wake up time. It's like finishing the gentle bunny hills on the roller coaster before riding the lift hill in the early morning hours. That day-long decline in early morning rise has been observed in a few studies that measured cortisol levels and participants' saliva across different times of day. This all happens while asleep, so maybe it's not as stressful. That's a really great way to visualize it. But now I have to wonder, what if something went wrong with the process, like the ride suddenly broke? I'm glad you asked. Now, if we continue with Joyner's analogy of the roller coaster, which is an awesome way to look at it, by the way, imagine if that roller coaster got stuck at the very top 
and you were just continually waiting for that drop. That anticipation of free fall when you look down hundreds of feet below, that's like your cortisol continually pumping without turning off. I see. So like having an exclamation point at every sentence. Right. It gets exhausting and chronically high cortisol isn't good for sleep either. Unfortunately, these sleep disturbances created by an overactive stress response can wreak havoc on your HPA axis, distorting your body's production of cortisol. Studies have shown that insomnia and other forms of sleep deprivation can cause your body to secrete more cortisol during the day, perhaps in an effort to stimulate alertness to compensate for lack of sleep or poor quality sleep. For all our body does to fix things, it can also make things worse in the process. Yes, and we're going to pick on that late student again, only we'll follow him throughout his day. It turns out our unlucky friend was also rather agitated. He didn't get along well with his classmates during a group exercise, and on the way back to his apartment, he started to traverse what he thought was an empty crosswalk, only to be feet away from getting a face full of rubber, glass, and metal. A car was actually approaching the whole time. Even more frustrated, the student decides to drive himself for a bit to cool off. This doesn't go according to plan, though, and he blows past multiple red lights, surely by accident. So all that happened from a mix of sleep deprivation and stress, huh? Wow. Exactly. It's so interesting to consider how this affects your ability to get things done. In fact, I read an article that covered just that. Dr. Mariana Figuero and her colleagues placed 12 participants into three sleep opportunity groups. Part of what Dr. Figuero was curious to know was whether the amount of sleep affected a person's performance through their accuracy and their reaction time. During the 27-hour protocol, a subject either slept for three hours, seven hours, or wasn't allowed to sleep at all. She and her colleagues made subjects repeat three types of performance tasks throughout this 27-hour period. What's interesting is that while daytime performance test scores were generally the same across the three-hour, seven-hour, and no-sleep groups, they significantly differed at night. How so? Well, all groups followed the trend that performance declines overnight. That's what the researchers had read in previous studies. However, the no-sleep group had the largest drop in performance. What's even more interesting is that it scored significantly worse than the groups that got in a few hours of sleep. So a lack of sleep seems to play a role in worse task performance that involves quick reaction and accuracy. That doesn't sound good at all. Correct. Poor sleep will turn your day for the worse. Sleep is so crucial that even slight sleep deprivation or poor sleep can affect memory, judgment, mood, and even safety risks while driving, like with the student whose day was just not going very well. Oof, that is very counterproductive. If you think that sounds awful, it can also impact your overall systemic health over a long period of time. What happens when deprivation turns chronic? When you get, I don't know, two, three hours of sleep for days at a time? Great question. And if you don't mind, Haley, I can answer that. Sleep deprivation can cause a number of health problems. In addition to feelings of listlessness, chronic sleep deprivation and increased cortisol can contribute to obesity, heart disease, diabetes, obstructive sleep apnea, mood disorders, and just an overall weakened immune response. All that from one little hormone? How can we catch it before it gets to that? Well, and that's where being aware of yourself and noting certain symptoms ahead of time can come into play. That helps. 
Also, how can we tell if our cortisol levels are too high? Yeah, so some symptoms to look for and to also maybe talk to your doctor about would be brain fog, which is difficulty with memory and focus. If you have any digestive problems, mood disorders such as depression or anxiety, um, if your blood pressure goes up, and of course, fatigue, which can be associated with those sleep problems we talked about, like interrupted sleep and just not getting enough sleep. Discussing with my doctor? This sounds more serious than I would have thought. Yes, but you can run some simple tests with your doctor to check your blood pressure, cholesterol, triglycerides, and even your sugar levels, as all of these can be increased from higher than normal cortisol levels. Elevations in these can also lead to heart disease. So you'll definitely want to ask your doctor about checking for increased inflammation markers, as that can also correlate with uh, higher cortisol levels. What can we do? Are we doomed to our cortisol? You'll be happy to know you aren't doomed to your cortisol, but it does follow a natural circadian rhythm, as Joyner talked about earlier. So really, if your levels rise and fall at certain times of the day and you don't experience any of those signs or symptoms that I mentioned before, then you should be okay. On the other hand, if you have noticed any of those, like high blood pressure or just feeling more stressed, that may be worth a conversation with a trusted medical professional, as I've said. So imagine this scenario. Let's say you keep a routine sleep pattern throughout the week, but on Friday, you have a big work presentation to give. You're up most of Thursday night, fidgeting and anxious over how you'll do. What little sleep you get is awful. I might've felt that way before this episode. By morning, your cortisol levels are higher than normal. It still follows a circadian rhythm, but your cortisol levels don't decrease as quickly as they should throughout the day. Similarly, if you are staying up for an exam, your cortisol levels won't return to baseline like they would during a full night's sleep. As a result, your sleep is now disrupted, which bleeds into the rest of your day. Okay, wait, let me make sure I'm following. So what you're saying is if I get poor sleep or a lack of sleep, this can make my cortisol high? I think I feel my cortisol rising. What can I do? Or what can we all do? Okay, before your stress levels go through the roof, there are some things that we can do to help manage our cortisol levels and keep us grounded. This will also set us up for a good night's sleep. While our listeners await appointments to see their doctors, what are some interim remedies they can do in the meantime? Oh, excellent question. Keeping cortisol levels in check and our HPA axis activity from ramping up too high can help contribute to healthier sleep. Of course, sleeping better by making enough time for nightly sleep and adhering to a consistent sleep schedule while practicing other fundamentals of sleep hygiene is always a way to help lower cortisol levels as well. So I'll share some keys to improving cortisol levels and overall tips on a better night's sleep. This way you can tackle them both together. I'm so excited. This is what we've all been staying awake for. (laughs) Well, some suggestions to level up cortisol can include practicing regular light to moderate intensity exercises, practicing mindfulness and meditation. Um, You'll also want to take notice of and reframe your thoughts that tend to make you more stressed or anxious and also help by practicing some deep breathing exercises. You can relax by doing yoga or listening to music, spend some time with your pet, Other things you can do is modify your diet or more specifically eliminate cortisol triggering foods like those that may be high in sugars and starches. 
and you can supplement with things like fish oil, which are high in omega-3 fatty acids, magnesium and or ashwagandha. Lastly, consider therapy with a trained mental health professional. Those seem easy enough. Yes, they are. And most of them are activities we already enjoy doing. Some other quick tips to help with uh, better sleep, since balancing your cortisol levels can take some time, would include keeping your bedroom dark and cool, usually around a temperature of 65 to 68 degrees Fahrenheit. Use an eye mask that can help block out the light. This way it's a lot darker. Put your electronics away at least a good 30 to 60 minutes before bedtime, as the light from those devices can stimulate your brain which will make it harder to fall asleep. And if you need to use your electronics up to the point of sleep, then at least try using some blue blocking glasses. That'll help block some of those blue rays out. Try skipping caffeinated drinks in the late afternoon through the rest of the day. And just try swapping out that alcoholic beverage for something like chamomile tea or another non-caffeinated tea. This also reminds me, reduce your whole beverage intake at least an hour before bedtime so as to reduce waking up to use your restroom. These all sound like great remedies, and I'm really eager to get started on them. Of course, but as mentioned before, make sure to discuss these with your doctor just so you know what aims are best for you. Hold on. Before we end, why don't we lead our listeners through some guided breathing exercises like you had recommended? Great idea. What we'll do is I'll take a deep breath in for five seconds. We'll hold that breath for five seconds and then release it for another five seconds. So let's all breathe in. And hold. And release. Nice job, y'all. When you're practicing this on your own, you would want to do a sequence of three to five breaths with these same five second intervals throughout. Now that's something. I feel calm and refreshed. At the end of the day, not only will these suggestions help your cortisol, but they will help your sleep and vice versa. Cortisol and sleep have a cyclical relationship. One begets the other. Now that sounds like music to my ears. I'm glad you think so, because here are a couple of tunes to help set the mood. Well, I think that ends us on a rather soothing note. Pun intended. Let's let our listeners digest this information and decide whether or not this is something to share or bring up with their doctors. Hopefully, you'll find some of these remedies useful for yourself, but also learn a great deal on how sleep and stress are connected, what normal looks like, and what the impacts are when it's not. I want to thank all of our guest speakers for being here today. Thank you so much. It's been great. Glad to talk about this.
Wonderful. If you listeners are hopefully all still awake after this lesson, then please join us next week when we talk about anxiety. Cortisol makes a comeback, but so do a few other things. Thank you all for joining us today and cheers to you and your restful sleep.